Hi, I'm Dan Jones. And I'm Mia Lee, and we are the editors of Modern Love at the New York Times and co-hosts of the Modern Love podcast. We read love stories for a living. And by love stories, we mean essays written by real people about all forms of human connection. We're talking about everything from first dates to funerals, from sibling rivalries to new love at 85. On our show, we're going to bring those stories to life. We'll hear from the writers and also from the people who are written about. Relationships are the most important things in our lives. And the people that tell us their stories are just so brave, like way braver than I think I am most of the time. Yeah. They're so honest and so vulnerable. And listening to the stories, I feel like you absorb so much wisdom and you get a sense that you're not alone. You can follow Modern Love wherever you get your podcasts so you'll never miss an episode. We hope you'll join us. New episodes are out every Wednesday. From the New York Times, I'm Michael Barbaro. This is The Daily. Today. President Trump shocked his own team when he invited the authoritarian leader of the Philippines to visit the White House. Now, he says, he's open to meeting the leader of North Korea. Why does he do it? Why the disregard of traditional diplomacy? And The Times interviews Ivanka Trump. What does it mean to be an advisor to the president and also his daughter? It's Tuesday, May 2nd. Awesome. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. Bye-bye. Don't let us interrupt you, Maggie. Some of us still write stories. Oh, Oh, well played. Maggie Haberman covers the White House for the Times. So the story yesterday was that President Trump had shocked his advisors by inviting the president of the Philippines, Rodrigo Duterte, to the White House. I'm interested in the why. What insight can you give us into that call? Sure. The why is that this administration has made a strategic choice about how it's going to handle certain relationships. And they have decided that they are going to build up regional support systems, in this case, Philippines, related to North Korea and containing the threat there um, as best they can. These are uh, calls or meetings that President Obama would not have taken Hmm. and, and generally didn't. In this case, this was supposed to be a phone call. It was just supposed to be a discussion. And my understanding of it, and again, to be clear, there is such a Rashomon effect with this White House where you have seven different perspectives depending on who you talk to. But my understanding from multiple people is that the president essentially winged it by offering this invitation to come to the White House. Um, The president has a a habit of doing that. When he praised uh, Erdogan of Turkey on what has been widely derided as a a corrupt measure that expanded his authoritarian influence and and our president offered him congratulations, that was also not a scripted moment. So why does he do that? Go off script in seemingly important international interactions with foreign leaders? I think part of the issue is dealing with leaders on the world stage. He thinks what he's supposed to do is project strength and some kind of deal-making prowess because that's supposed to be his stock and trade. And I think what's behind it is just that he has a belief that essentially you get everybody in front of you and you try to talk to them at all times. The problem is that this is not Trump Tower anymore. There are consequences to offering a White House invitation to somebody who is an admitted uh, believer in mass murder and who claims to have committed murders himself. Uh, he believes that that's how you deal with the drug problem in the Philippines is to kill people. Let's talk about the consequences that you've just outlined. The Washington reaction to President Trump inviting Duterte to the White House 
is is shock and the idea that it is completely out of line with U.S. foreign relations, that it's out of bounds. But are there actually any diplomatic implications to doing something like this when the president basically breaks diplomatic protocol, disagrees with the advice of his own State Department, or does it not really matter that much at all? It matters in the sense that it, it sends a level of diplomatic uncertainty out into the world, which is never great in terms of our allies. Because when you have people who have been in partnership with the United States, in many cases for many decades, when you have them wondering what it is that the United States is actually standing for at that point, the United States has long been an idealistic nation. Mm. It is essentially this concept of American exceptionalism. While it's been pretty maligned, it is basically about something being aspirational and the idea of of values, of values of freedom, of constitutional democracy, and that those are the types of values that this country hopes other countries will aspire to. And so when you are extending an olive branch mm-hmm. and even more than that, an invitation to somebody who believes in death squads, that sends a complicated message. And so do I know what the fallout is from his moves? No, I think it's hard to say right now. But I think that anything that makes other nations essentially just not want to deal with the United States because they're not certain where the United States is, that's problematic. Could it have the opposite effect of making lots of other foreign leaders want to deal with the United States? Because there seems to be a door that's either been left quite ajar or potentially even wide open in a way that it wasn't in the past to foreign leaders who might have felt the harsh judgment of this exceptionalism of this American sensibility in the past. Look, that is the argument that some Trump supporters will make and some some White House advisors will make is that essentially we're doing things differently. Mm-hmm. There is some truth to that. I think the question is you have to decide, is there a line? And if there is one, when do you cross it? When it comes to dictators who And that is where America has traditionally drawn lines. Is President Trump more sympathetic to them than his predecessor or his many predecessors? Is that the reality? Correct. And you can stretch this back to the campaign trail when we saw, especially after then-candidate Donald Trump won his first primary in New Hampshire in February, early February of 2016, he started making much more harder-edged nationalist— Don't tell me it doesn't work. Torture works, okay, folks? Much more authoritarian pronouncements. You know, I have these guys, torture doesn't work. Believe me, it works, okay? That was the window where he said things like— torture works. Mm -hmm. That was around the time that he praised Saddam Hussein. Saddam Hussein was a bad guy, right? He was a bad guy, really bad guy. But you know what he did well? He killed terrorists. He did that so good. They didn't read him the rights. They didn't talk. They were a terrorist. It was over. Uh, But he was considered a state sponsor of terrorism against Israel. The world would be better off with Saddam Hussein and Gaddafi in power. He praised Gaddafi as I think, better than what had come after Gaddafi. Look what happened. Libya is a catastrophe. You look at our ambassador as an example, okay? Uh, Libya is a disaster. Iraq is a disaster. Syria is a disaster. The whole Middle East. And it all blew up around Hillary Clinton and around Barack Obama. It all blew up. And I think that you can make the argument that replacing Gaddafi with chaos was not a great outcome. But it's very rare to you know, sort of speak in admiring tones. He did something similar with Kim Jong-un. And you got to give him credit. How many young guys, he was like 26 or 25 when his father died, take over these tough generals and all of a sudden, you know, it's pretty amazing when you think of it. How does he do that? Even though it is a culture and it's a cultural thing, he goes in, he takes over and he's the boss. It's incredible. He wiped out the uncle. He wiped out this one, that one. I mean, this guy doesn't play games. 
And we can't play games with him because he really does have missiles and he really does have nukes. Well, and then, of course, don't forget Vladimir Putin, yes. who he has had, I think, some of his most extensive praise for it. He's running this country and at least he's a leader, you know, unlike what we have in this country. So finally, Maggie, do you think that Duterte is going to actually visit the White House or is it possible that there may be a rethinking well, of this invitation? It's an excellent question. Uh, Duterte uh, said that he might be too busy to accept the invitation. Did he? Um, which you don't hear too often about a extended offer from the White House. Um, Sean Spicer, the White House press secretary in one of his uh, briefings. Spicer did not walk back the Duterte praise at all. That discussion. Glenn. Sean, first of all, you just described Kim Jong-un as somebody who led this country uh, forward at an early age. That's Glenn Thrush, our colleague. The president has invited Duterte, who, as Annie pointed out, has talked about assassinating journalists. The president put out a statement after Erdogan uh, won his referendum congratulating him. He said kind things about Putin during the campaign said kind things about Saddam Hussein. Does the president have a thing with these totalitarian leaders? Does he admire something about the way these guys conduct themselves? No, the president it, it clearly, as I've said, understands the threat that North Korea poses. I, I understand that. Unfortunately, those are the neighbors. There are certain things. Those are the countries in the region. Those are the countries that can be helpful uh, as we move forward to try to prevent uh, the threat that they that they pose. There was no disagreement, as I understand it, among people within the West Wing and on the National Security Council and so forth about doing the call. The issue was the bit of freelance grand gesturing by the president. Thank you, Maggie. Thank you, Michael. President Trump continued his outreach to rogue leaders on Monday saying he would meet North Korea's dictator, Kim Jong-un, provided the circumstances were right. No American president has met with a North Korean leader since Kim's grandfather, Kim Il-sung, established the country as a Stalinist state after the Korean War. However vague and impromptu, Trump's offer unsettled allies on the Korean peninsula. We'll be right back. When times became uncertain... Womply pivoted their technology platform and committed to help small businesses and self-employed workers get approved for their PPP loan. In just a few months, Womply has helped one million businesses across America to secure much-needed funding so they can continue to stay open and serve their communities. Womply helps small businesses thrive. Visit Womply.com to learn more. I've got to use some Tic Tacs just in case they start kissing her. We all know the story of the Access Hollywood tape released just weeks before the presidential election. I don't even wait. And when you're a star, they let you do it. You can do anything. Whatever you want. Grab them by the pussy. And of how women did or did not respond to Trump's comments on it. But one woman we never heard from is the person who has been judged because of Trump's behavior towards women more than anyone else his daughter, Ivanka Trump. She's beautiful. She's powerful. She's complicit. My colleagues Jody Kanner and Rachel Abrams, who have been reporting on Ivanka, got an inside account of that day in October. Jody, Rachel, thank you very much for coming in. Thank you. Thank you. Jody, would you describe for me that scene a few weeks before the election inside Trump Tower between Donald Trump and his daughter, Ivanka? Donald Trump was doing debate prep high in Trump Tower. He was with his advisors. An aide rushes in, says that there's this Washington Post story that is about to go online. 
And Donald Trump's first reaction is, this can't be me. It doesn't sound like me. Hmm. The group watches the video together. At some point, everybody moves to Donald Trump's office. And as it's dawning on Donald Trump. That it is him. It is him. And also, he's kind of grudging in his reaction at first. He says that he'll apologize if anyone was offended. And Ivanka Trump made an emphatic case for him making a public apology. And as she spoke, her father was still kind of unyielding. He didn't agree. And she grew really upset. Her face um, grew red. She choked up a little bit and she ran out of the room in frustration. So it tells us something important. It tells us something about her limits as an advisor, the limits of her influence with her father. Absolutely. One of the things she said to us is that in many cases, she hopes that her influence will just be incremental. She basically said something like— That's fascinating. She said, look, uh, there are policies I can't kill, but I may be able to sand down their edges. She is trying in her own way to be a kind of moderating influence on this whole administration, even though she has basically no political or Washington experience— She wants to review executive orders Hmm. uh, before they're signed by the president. She calls different cabinet secretaries. She doesn't really see any limitations on her portfolio. And, of course, part of what's so interesting is that she has no background in any of these things. But interestingly, what is it that Ivanka has decided to focus on in her role as an advisor? So she just made a decision that she wants to focus on gender issues. Uh, She told us that she went away for Passover vacation and she felt she had been very reactive to what was going on in the White House and that she really wanted to take some time and kind of formulate her role. And she decided that her real passion was going to be gender issues. So how far back does Ivanka Trump's commitment to the issue of women, gender equality go, Rachel? Well, the short answer is that it seems to really come from, in a big way, her brand. Because in the course of her reporting, we asked various people through Mm -hmm. various points in her life whether she had expressed strong views on women's issues. And we're not finding a lot of instances where she's expressing a strong feminist belief system Mm -hmm. um, until she's forced to grapple with some of these issues as she's starting her own company. what, What do you mean? They have no maternity policy in place. They don't have health benefits in place. She's She is hiring people. This is the end of 2013. And the issue here is that the employees say that they really had to push her to understand these issues. Mm-hmm. Ivanka Trump has never shied away from the fact that she has come from a privileged upbringing. But what that means is that she hasn't necessarily had to grapple with some of these issues. And at the same time, or all around this time, she's developing a marketing campaign that is built around celebrating women. This brand is a celebration of women who work. This is like a good therapy session. (laughs) Because it's not just about the nine to five. It's about having a full life, lived to the fullest. And it's eventually called Women Who Work. We invite you all to join the conversation and let's show the world what it looks like to be a woman who works. And is this her idea or is this a pure marketing campaign? So this is a pure marketing campaign. I started this company for women who inspire me. This is a way for her to sell her shoes and her handbags, and it's being developed by the team around her. The women I know who are working today (laughs) are working hard to create and build the lives that they want to live, and there's nothing more compelling and powerful than that. What's happening simultaneously as this marketing campaign is growing is that she's having to address in her own business 
this maternity policy question. And she eventually gives her employees maternity, paternity, and adoption. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to our YouTube channel, Ivanka Trump. This particular topic that we're dealing with today is one very near and dear to my heart on motherhood. And I think what this tells us is that if you're skeptical of her, you're Mm going to look at this and you're going to say she did not understand these issues. She never had to deal with these issues. How much does she really believe in these issues? And how much can she be an effective advocate in the West Wing? Motherhood has been the most exciting, rewarding, chaotic, exhausting, and transformational (laughs) experience of my life and has been amazing. Um, Being a parent is really, really hard work. And balancing professional goals and personal goals is a never-ending struggle, but worth the effort, in uh, in my opinion. I want to understand something, because what it sounds like what you're telling me is that the focus on women that she may have brought to the White House may have begun as a pure business marketing strategy to get business. Yeah. But nevertheless, she may have brought it to the White House, and, and there it is as something she's trying to get done for women all over the country. Is that more or less how you see it? We can't answer whether it's sincere or not. But what we can say is that something that started as something that to sell shoes and handbags seems to have helped to crystallize her views that affect women. And she's carried that into the White House. And I think that dealing with her own marketing campaign and her employees and maternity policy raised her awareness about these issues in a significant way. Jody, you and Maggie Haberman recently interviewed Ivanka at the White House, and she was about to engage with these same issues on the world stage. Tell us about that. It was right before she left for her trip to Berlin. And this was a big deal because this was going to be her first Mm -hmm. outing on an international stage representing uh, her father's administration. And she was excited. She was daunted. She was a little nervous. At least that's my read. Mm -hmm. First of all, she's in an awkward position because on that stage in Berlin, she was sitting with truly some of the most accomplished women in the world. She's sitting with the German prime minister. She's sitting with the managing director of the International Monetary Fund. She's sitting with Canada's foreign minister. Mm -hmm. And then she's introduced as the first daughter. So there's sort of like this. Disjunction. One of of these things is not like the other, you know, situation. And the crowd had a very skeptical reaction to her. They they booed her. mm, They didn't really boo her. We found that that was somewhat misreported. Hmm. He's been a tremendous champion of of supporting families and enabling them to thrive in the new reality of... Our correspondent who was in the room said it was more like murmurs of skepticism to what she was saying, but she was asked a question. You're the first daughter of the United States and you're also an assistant to the U.S. president. As a part of the audience, especially the German audience, is not that familiar with the concept of a first daughter. I'd like to ask you, what is... Your role, uh, and whom are you representing? Uh, your, your father as the president of the United States, the American people, or your business? Well, certainly not the latter. And I am rather unfamiliar with this role as well, as it is quite new to me. It has been a little under 100 days, but it is... And those are the questions that dog Ivanka Trump everywhere and will continue to do so. Hmm. We don't hear President Trump talking all that much about gender. So this reminds me of the story you told me at the beginning of this conversation, which was about him being resistant to what she cared about and the advice she was giving. So 
knowing that that he hasn't fully adopted this issue that publicly that she wants him to, what does that tell us now, even when she's in the White House, about her influence over her father, the president? Here's the reason I can't answer. It has to do with something we learned for the story. President Trump and Ivanka Trump spend a lot of time alone together in the Oval Office. This is actually, Jared Kushner told us this. Jared Kushner, Ivanka Trump's husband, also an advisor in the White House, he said a lot of their real real interactions just happen when they're alone in there together. It happens a lot. Often the president summons Ivanka and wants to ask her questions, sound something off of her. Or sometimes she says to other people in the White House, I need 10 minutes alone with my dad. And gets it. And she usually gets it. So I think those conversations are so private and so interesting that I don't think any of us can really speculate on what exactly happens kind of in that in that cone of the father-daughter relationship. Rachel Jody, thank you very much. Thank you. Really thank appreciate you. It. On Tuesday, Ivanka Trump will release her new book, which shares the same name as her old marketing campaign, Women Who Work. In it, she offers advice to women on how to balance work and family and, quote, change the system to make it better for women. Here's what else you need to know today. After two false starts, the Trump administration is pushing the House to vote on a revised version of the Republican health care bill, a repeal of Obamacare, by as soon as Wednesday. The president is insisting... Pre-existing conditions are in the bill, and I mandated I said it has to be. But health care experts say that's not the case. The revisions to the first version of the Republican health care bill, designed to win over a conservative bloc in the House that refused to support the original, would discriminate against people with pre-existing conditions and further undermine protections for the sick. And Fox News has let go of one of its co-presidents, Bill Shine. Bill Shine, who has been with FNC since its launch nearly 20 years ago. A holdover from the Roger Ailes era at the network. Shine was accused in several of the sexual harassment lawsuits against Ailes of enabling and concealing Ailes' behavior and of dismissing women's concerns about that behavior. Shine's job had seemed safe after Ailes was pushed out of Fox back in July. But Bill O'Reilly's departure over similar allegations of sexual misconduct has brought new scrutiny to the network. Another network star, Sean Hannity, publicly defended Shine on Twitter last week, saying that getting rid of him would be, quote, the total end of Fox as we know it. That's it for The Daily. I'm Michael Barbaro. See you tomorrow. You're still running your business on QuickBooks? More like quicksand. The bigger your company grows, the faster you sync with outdated software. NetSuite by Oracle is the scalable solution to run all key back office operations, no matter how big your company grows. 93% of surveyed organizations increase visibility and control since making the switch from QuickBooks to NetSuite. Right now, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind financing program. Head to netsuite.com daily. That's special financing at netsuite.com slash daily, netsuite.com slash daily.